Hi there, Glocal citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, and we're picking up this episode with part two of a conversation with Farai Malianga. He is a Zimbabwean American videographer, composer, and musician who began his career in African dance in Colorado. He later relocated to New York, where he began studying dance and drum with pioneers Yusuf Kumbasa, Mbemba Bangura, and Ronald K. Brown. He's performed with creative masters such as Chuck Davis in BAM's Dance Africa, Reginald Yates, and Heritage OP for the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater's 40th anniversary season. With musicians such as Roy Ayers, Wimmy Olaya, Manchild Black, and Akua Ulrich, to name a few. He has also performed on and off Broadway, on Broadway in the musical Fela, and off in Darker Faces of the Earth, directed by Trezana Beverly. As a videographer, most recent projects include editing the archival documentary for Kambuka, the longest active New Orleans-based West African dance troupe. This fall, he joins Florida State University as a tenure-track professor with a focus on music for dance and choreography. He will be teaching rhythmic analysis, music for choreography, and digital audio recording, while also providing music support for African, Dunham, and contemporary classes. In case you missed last week's episode, please circle back and find out more about Farai's local and global self. For this episode, we're going to pick up the conversation speaking about Farai's current tenure track role at Florida State University. Let's jump right in. So, okay. So speaking of you, you know, being a tenure track professor is not an easy thing. And so as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you went through the interview and all of those things. Tell us a little bit more about, because this, that in my mind becomes the pinnacle of a struggling artist's career in some ways is to now to come into a place where, oh, thank goodness. Like, I don't have to worry about the hustle as much. I can apply my craft because, you know, teaching is teaching. You teach during the terms and then you have your own free time to still be creative. There's opportunities for sabbatical. So tell us a little bit more about the the business. You, You mentioned it a little bit, but tell us a little bit about the hustle to get to this place. So you told us the specifics about this role, but like over the years of being a, you know, videographer, being a, you know, composer, all those things. Tell us a little bit more about those parts of your life. I mean, when I was in school, I was one of them kids. I wasn't a bad kid in terms of I wasn't, you know, breaking things or, you know, cussing or whatever else. But I was definitely not a great student because the fact that my mind was other places. I'm a definite artist. So I hated being stuck. I hated being confined. Mm -hmm. So when I finally graduated and I was able to go to New York, I actually came here and they gave me a 3.8. And I was like, I don't deserve no 3.8. When I did my last year in high school in Colorado. I was like, I don't believe, I don't deserve no 3.8 the way I was doing. <laughs> so I busted my butt senior year. I busted my butt. Graduated a year early. But that, you know, so I was never a great student in terms of that's not where I was. I was a great student in terms of student of the world. I did things in my own sequence. So when I got the freedom to get to New York, I tried to you know get a job and do all the stable things. But I was like, man, I'm I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do it my way. And when you make that that bold commitment to your art form you sacrifice mm-hmm. right you may you constantly have a choice do i get make extra money or do i work on my craft you know do i do i work at the do i work at this private school that i'm teaching at full-time 
or do I work part-time at the private school and work part-time in Brownsville with the charter school because I want to be around African-American students as well? Right. You know, do I support this artist who I think is amazing and compose music for her, even though she's paying me, you know, $500 when she should be paying me 5000 That's the hustle. That's how we do. Because like, if, if I got the opportunity to work with some of the most amazing artists, I worked with Camila A. Brown when she was first uh, starting to develop and create her own her own thing. I worked with uh, Crystal Brown who and composed several pieces for her as she was developing her company. And she ended up going to Vermont and becoming a professor over there. Mm-hmm. I worked with Beatrice Capote before she got a position at, at Indiana University. You know, and all these artists were hustling and creating amazing work and they didn't have big budgets at the time, you know. So that's how we work, you know, as artists. That's been the last 20 years of just really being a part of working with the most amazing artists, mostly African-American women that were and are revolutionizing the dance world. But it did. It came at a cost. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I had plenty of summers when, you know. I was like, OK, do I get bottled water? I'm going to I'm going to die of thirst. <laughs> and I remember the first time I. First time I realized how how stupid we live was the the time when I was in the summer. I literally didn't have enough money to go get the bottle of water. And I was like, damn, I can't. I'm going to, you know, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, you can drink water from the tap. I forgot. (laughs) Drink an Avion. It didn't occur to me that, you know what I mean? And that, that, as silly as that story is, that was the key to me looking at things as you can always survive. Okay. If you're willing to sacrifice and then be... Um, be creative. So instead of being creative only when I'm working with my music or my keyboard, you got to be creative in how you survive. Sure. Then all of a sudden you become fearless. And when you become fearless, then you decide what choices you're going to make, you know? And you have to keep the faith that somehow that's going to work out. Yeah. And this is a manifestation of it working out. Because now, like you said, the difference, everything that I dreamed about, everything that I worked on, on, on my computer right here, I have... I was going through my music yesterday trying to organize it. I have over a thousand completed songs that I completed over the years. And now the students come to me and they're like, you know, Farai, can we get, I'm trying to figure out if I need to do the African thing and make them call me Baba or something like that. But they call me by my first name. I'm not sure that's going to work, but I'll figure it out later. (laughs) You know how we do. Yeah, yeah. It's something to think about. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that you say that because I have a godson and I have friends who have <clears throat> children and I don't know, you know, some of them are African and I don't know what happened with them. Why? Because even mm-hmm. when we were growing up, like in the U.S., I never called an adult by their first name. It was always Miss Something or Miss This. Like the family people were aunties for the most part. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because there are a few of our family friends that we didn't call we did call by their first names. Like, and I'm like, why did we do that? Because now I'm like, no, I'm Auntie Florence. I'm not, you know, like I am, that's who I am. Like no one in, in Ghana would ever think of calling me by my first name. So it's so weird when young people are trying to, are calling me by mm-hmm. my first name. I'm like, oh, that's weird. That's weird. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting. Yeah. When I came here the first time, I was literally just like, you know, letting it go and stuff, you know, but yeah, it's interesting. It is. I mean, I don't. I don't do it. Like even now, like when I'm talking to you know my chair, you know, I I sometimes will call her by her first name. I'll sometimes say if I'm in, in a public context, special context, especially, I say Mama Angeli. Yes. You know, when I see Jaole, I say Mama Jaole. To this day, you know, so it, there's a certain level of respect that comes with that. But I mean, you know, I don't. I know that there's no malintent, but my nephew does. He calls everybody with a title. Everybody, you know, Miss. Yeah, yeah. My, my sister doesn't play, you know, so we still keep that same tradition. I just try to make sure that I don't impose it on everybody. But for me, absolutely. 
you know, at least sometimes, you know, even with my friends, my friends are a little bit older than me. I automatically say, you know, my boy who I play drums with, Uncle Ray, I call him Uncle Ray all the time. It's kind of partially a joke, but not really, you know? Right. It's just like reverence to, or just acknowledgement of your, your elderness or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. I just, it's just so funny to say that. Yeah. So you'll figure it out. Either they're going to call I mean, you're not gray enough to be Baba, kind of, sort of. So I, I, unfortunately, I, I mean, unfortunately, because again, that, that's another construct. Because <laughs> Africans, we, you proud if you get old, people have to get have to go get you the water. You should be proud. Yeah, I, I hit the I hit the five zero mark this year. So I, 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 if if it's a number, especially for twenty years. Yeah, yes, it's true. If it's a number, like it's funny you say that because I never called any of my professors when I was in grad school by their first names, mm-hmm. and even my mentor, he had to tell me to call him by his first name before yeah. I would call him by his first name. So yeah, that's I don't know something to think about. Yeah, it's really it's fun. Yeah, I mean it's like one of my best students. One of my best students from back when I was in the charter school in Brownsville. Uh-huh. He just hit, you know, hit me up to congratulate me. And um, he's, he's over at, uh, he's at Howard right now in Atlanta. Yeah. And, um, and he literally was like, you know, he still calls me Mr. Malianga. Yeah. And I'm not sure how to get him to, to call me. I almost wish I, I like, I like Brother Farai better, you know, because it still feels a little bit of respect, but it, but it, it still allows us to be a little more familiar than Mr. Malianga per se. But yeah, it's interesting, you know, but yeah, he's, he's Nigerian. His parents are Nigerian, so of course. He, he never, it never occurred to him to call me by, by, by my first name, even though now we're cool, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know, just... Something to think about. That's something to think about. It's, it, 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 it is kind of, it is a major issue. But the good, the good thing about those kind of things is that we can laugh about them, but they do have a meaning. They do mean something. And I think for us, it's really tough, right? Because we are that generation of people that grew up as we get to choose which African traditions we keep, right? To some degree. Right, right, right. But we, but we have enough consciousness where we want to keep some of them, you know. I've been accused many times by by my uh, Zim friends because I don't speak Shona anymore. I don't speak my native tongue anymore, you know. And so, you know, it's not it's not something that I'm super proud of, to be honest with you. And I do want to continue studying and, and getting more familiar. But it always makes me laugh because they they will tease me for not speaking Shona, but they'll go by the English names, you know. Mm, very interesting, right? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. It's Too like scary. how, right? Yeah, it's like. <laughs> You know, I've been recently listening to a summit. So I listen to these summits every now and then on a network called the Shift Network. So they do a lot of different, you know, you know, whatever, Qigong, yoga, whatever. But this one's on mystics. And so it's cultivating this kind of question in my head around the the intersection between like all of the religious practices and and what a mystic mm-hmm. like and the idea that a mystic is across all cultures right yeah. so, and, and it's across yeah. all so if a true mystic is not going to necessarily differentiate between a buddhist or a hindu or a or a christian etc cetera, etc cetera. they may have their spiritual path but in the in the mysticism that it is it's this more universal concept of the the basis of divinity right right and so so, I mean, just what in our conversation is just bringing to mind a lot of those conversations about like the ancestral lineage, like how do we play tribute, you know, and still preserve, but still recognize that at the core of all of this, there's just one. And that's one concept of divinity that that should prevail in all of the conversations. So, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not you're, you're talking the deep, the next level stuff. Right. Because and, that, and that's the problem with me. Sometimes I find myself split psychology right there, there, there is 
And a friend of mine, you know, a good friend of mine once called me, you know, I was talking about something about the universality of, of, of classifications, basically dealing with race issues. And she was like, you just, she's like, well, you just post. I'm like, post? What do you mean by post? She's like, well, you know, your concepts take away all of the, re- the, the discussions that people are having around their reality. Because you're thinking so far ahead that it's not practical. Uh huh. Exactly. And that's that's what I've been feeling. Exactly. That's what I, I've been feeling that for throughout. Yeah. Exactly. Like my concepts are farther ahead, and it really takes the baby steps of de de indoctrinating humanity, you know, from from those things. And so then it becomes a question of is it important to call me by my first name or not? So I guess that's what I was kind of getting at. It's like it big time, right? Exactly. Yeah. But you're keeping certain things to to be able to teach people things like you know the racial construct it's just a construct but i'd be naive and stupid to say that that we don't have to be proud to be black because in order for us to get rid of the enigmas that come with being black or being african i have i do want to support that but at the same time i can say well there's so much diversity within the black race there's so many different types of africans within the black race that it's kind of a misnomer for us to just assume that every person that has dark skin is going to automatically fit under that same umbrella it's also crazy because we you know what is it brown paper bag test or what, I mean what exactly are we using to identify? I know a whole lot of people that, that that people look and call black that have absolutely nothing in common with with the most African things that I believe in you know and I'm not saying that those things are not important but it's just that let's really look at like you said the universal truths behind you know why we call ourselves what we call ourselves you know and I think that's an important discussion but yeah again when, when I'm working with my students where do you have to meet people where they're at, you know, the baby steps that you talked about. So that's a, that's a big struggle, especially being a teacher. It's like, okay, am I really, yeah, am I meeting the student where they're at and taking them where they need to be? Or am I going to just, you know, espouse my great understandings and they won't be able to use any of that information for themselves? Yeah, exactly. Which is a good segue into my mindset mm. question. So this is where I ask you to share your favorite or an innovative mindset hack. So this is one that you can imagine, one that you know of, or one that you practice. Wow, a mindset hack. Uh, I, as I've gotten older, I realized that I've always been an introvert for all practical purposes. So I can speak in crowds. I'm not, you know, I come from a family of political, we're getting that just another another day, but I come from a family of people that were very political in Zimbabwean uh, culture and history as well as my grandfather was a reverend. So we don't have no problem being in front of a crowd speaking, no problem. But I don't get my energy from being in crowds. I get my energy from being in a quiet space. My number one hack, as weird as it seems, maybe it comes from my mother's OCD-ness, is to organize. Always organize first. Mm. Because when I organize the space, I start to get into the meditative space. So one, you know what? Let me speak in, in this way. I designed a schedule, which I'm still trying to figure out exactly how it works. <laughs> it's two, two, one, one, two, one schedule. Two days work. Two, one, one, two, one. One, one, two, one. That better come out to seven, or else, or else I'm BSing right now. <laughs> Wait, two, two, one, one, two, one, one, two, one, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Two days working with somebody else. Okay. Uh, one day for you. No one else. One day working for somebody else, and then two days if someone else, right? And then two days working for you, and then one day off, not doing anything. Ah, interesting. So two two days of working for another, 
one day of working for you for yourself just for you yeah mm-hmm. and then another day of working for another and then another two days of working for you just for you huh. right and then one day is off whatever rest day that is that's a good schedule now that if, if you can't put that in as your weekly schedule you can also split the day into those portions but what what I found is that in order for me to really get creative, I need I need one whole day to myself. If I really, I'm really going in, I need a whole day to myself to just waste time, to organize things around the house, just do some sort of stuff that ends up meditating me into the state. So the second day is when the best ideas come out, when I'm totally zoned out and I've prepared, almost like a nesting kind of thing. So that middle two days that are designed for just me, one of them is the nesting where I'm creating a, a space of meditation so that the next day is definitely my most creative day, right? And so that's the schedule. That, to me, I wish that that was a schedule that we'd have on our calendars as opposed to a five-day work schedule. You know, I like that. And I feel like I in, in, inadvertently do something similar. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I may not set myself out, you know, I mean, growing up, we always had a schedule of doing chores or whatever. So it's not always mm-hmm. the, it was that was always the weekend, but it's not always that case for me. But yeah, that chores and organizing happens on a day. And the next day mm-hmm. I get into the me stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the other stuff. I mean, working for yourself, it's it's different sometimes. But yeah, I get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, you have you must. And the hardest one is having that one day where you don't do anything. You don't do anything for yourself. You don't do anything for anybody else. You just go for a walk. You just go, you know, drive and you. Yeah. And you. that is the hard day. But yeah, so, so that that is the schedule that I actually have tried. I mean, luckily for me, I've always been independent contractor while I was in New York. So I was literally, they were at the beginning of each semester, I would get work from Brooklyn Academy of Music, you know, teaching artists work. And so I was able to kind of create, between the different organizations I worked for, I could kind of create that kind of schedule um, by, by choosing which days I worked. And during the pandemic, that's when I really began to understand the power of controlling your schedule. Yes, I think so many have. You know, it's so funny because for me, the pandemic was like, oh, okay, this is kind of what I do already. So it wasn't a hard transition to 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 move into that. Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, when you were talking about the organization, I remember, so Farai and I have worked on projects together in the, in the media space, contest space. And so going to his studio, his, his home-based studio to do some recordings. And if you want to hear some of Farai's work, my theme music for our um, info, infomercial or infographic is was composed by Farai. <laughs> so I'll put a link to that so everyone can listen and actually, you know, find more about the company or whatever. But yeah, so at, your space was very organized. It was, I mean, it was this compact space that was seriously organized with everything. You know, when he pulled out the studio or, or set up the studio, I was like, wow, that's so innovative. So, you know, this is a man that actually puts his words into practice. Well, it's interesting. I mean, if, as far as that's one of the biggest things I want to accomplish here. Same idea is I actually want to st- write a grant. My plan is to buy a van and outfit the van very much in the same way as, as the studio that you came to visit. Oh, nice. And doing the same thing. So as opposed to you coming to me, I could drive to you and record, you know, whatever work <gasps> uh, projects you have to do. That's a great idea. 
Yeah. So that's going to become, and, and the purpose of that will be to archive, to literally go spaces, to places where our elders are, where history is being lost, and have them come into the van or have the equipment come out to where they are so I can interview musicians, singers, historians all around the country. That's my ultimate goal. Nice. Nice. I love that. I love that. So that's a, that's a what's next for you. So let's let's talk a little bit about what's next. What's new and next for Farai? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, sh- I should say that answer for the for the the final part of what's next. I guess as I was saying, I was thinking about that. But I mean, yeah, uh, what's what's next is just is just the tenure track. Right now, this next year is going to be a little bit of work because there is a transition moving from freelancing in the real world to working in academia. I've never been big on money. I have a bad relationship with money. I'm not proud of it. And I never wanted to look at it that way. Whenever somebody says, oh, money is evil, money is that, they usually means that they, they just got, they don't want to do the work to organize it. So I'll be real. <laughs> Boy, when you say, when you say you have a bad relationship, what does that mean with money? It means that I've always used the excuse that a lot of people use about how money corrupts. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I get you know, it. And that's not true. You know, money is just a tool. Um, so I'm trying to finally get past that and start to really think about, like, how do I embrace the idea that organizing, saving money is not a bad thing? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's something we all have to do. And especially as artists, you don't have to necessarily give up your creative independence, but you do have to be serious about how you use the money. Um, and the great thing about being here is that I have to write grants. I have to budget. You know, because all of those type of things, if I plan things out really well, I end up getting the support from the institution to do the work that I want to do, which is exactly what I've been doing for the last 20 plus years, which is support artists. Like, you know, when you come to me, I mean, of course, you, you know, you Florence, I do. So you, you have a budget, you don't play. <laughs> but, you know, if an artist comes to me with, with, with limited budget, it's like, you know, it's like I need to I need to be organized enough to be able to fundraise and do those kind of things as well. And that's the thing that I'm going to that's what's next in terms of that's the missing piece to my artistry. It's the financial component. Um, so I've got to do some humbling and work on that part. But being here makes things easier because a lot of grants are designed for that. And, you know, the reality of institutions based upon on bringing money in. Right. That's true. It's true. Yeah. So it is that transition. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the good thing is that there are so many opportunities that are specifically created for academic institutions and grant and professors and things like that. So we know you'll be successful at that. Oh, no. I appreciate that. It is, it is hard, right? You know, there is a certain thing when you're a freelance artist about asking people for money and then having them decide how your art, you know, works. That's been, that's been the resistance for me in terms of getting grants. You know, like you said, my space was organized. I did it all on myself. I work, I work also, you know, through the season and then I spend, spend, the, spend the money on st- things that, that I could use creatively. And then I spent the whole summer working. But now I don't have to do that anymore. You know, and, and the grants that I get can can have the authenticity of my intentions in, in the grants. Right, 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 right. I like that. I like that. Okay, so we've talked all about you and your work and a little bit of your wanderings, but who is Farai that's not working, that's not composing, that's not, you know, creating something? Who are you? Are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Are you a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? Ooh, I'm not a big reader. I have a tendency of reading very little, and but when I read, stuff sticks with me forever, ever. 
Um, so I say the books that I got obsessed with that are a big part of my psyche right now are Octavia Butler's books. Oh yes, oh yes. I went in. I went in on Octavia Butler's books, and and yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't want to diss people's uh, attitude towards reading and everything else because I have a lot of respect for people that read a lot. But whether you read or use oral tradition, which is you know all those things are valid. Mm-hmm. It's not so much what you read or what you listen to. It's really a more about what you keep, in my opinion, and what you hold on to. Mm, like how you retain it. Yeah. 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 And how you retain it and how you use it. How you use that information. Sure. 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 Okay. So just to stop you on Octavia Butler, what is your favorite or is there a favorite so far of her books? Favorite book mm-hmm. from Octavia? Uh, Parable, Parable of the Sower. That's your favorite? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. That was my first one that I read. And mm-hmm. I, I do love that story. It's a great story. And it kind of speaks to, it kind of speaks to that um, mysticism, you know, because she right. herself became like this mystic in a way, you know? Absolutely. It a hundred percent, it a hundred percent. Yeah. Speaks to yes. that. That's why I love what you said. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, go keep going, keep going. Yeah, my favorite is Wild Seed. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, I, 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 I yeah, I definitely Yeah, that. yeah, I like that. I mean, I've, I've read this, the series, more of the series, and it's fine too, but Wild Seed was just just the um, the shapeshifters of it all. And not to be a spoiler for anyone, but if you haven't read it already, you know, I'm joking, um, read the books, <laughs> read the books. Cause you know, it's science fiction I mean, and it's Afrofuturistic in a lot of ways, but yeah, it's just. Well, the beauty of the, be- the beauty of that, sorry to cut you, but the beauty of that book is the African history that I've been studying for years. And I've started to understand she is able to include all of that. I was aggravated yesterday and I was looking for the world history calendar and it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It did talk about, the Mali Empire, it talked about the Ghana Empire, it talked about Egypt, but it still had some of that colonial separation where all of a sudden Egypt is not oh Egypt is not a part of Africa now. Exactly. Okay, cool. So you have the Kushites, but you don't but you and then you have Egypt. So they literally catalog them as not being a part of Africa. So then how the hell did you have the Nubians come in and take over Egypt, you know, for for, for a vast amount of time if it's not a part of Africa? And and uh, and, and then and, and then, and then this one really kicked me. So I have to teach some classical music or the teaching classical music is a big part of one of the classes that I teach, right? So I'm looking at it, taking a look at trying to figure out how I'm going to incorporate classical music. I'm looking at the different types of classical music from medieval to uh, classical to romantic, uh, you know, different sections to uh, Baroque. And then I'm saying, why, how come they call the medieval up until 1400s? Like and then before that they act like there was no music before that. I mean, how's that possible? Then I said, when when did the Moors when did the Moors get in Europe? I was like, wait, the Moors were in Europe, right? The Moors took over Europe, right? Sure enough, 1492, Columbus gets sent by by uh, Spain to the Americas. Why did they do that? Was that because they just finished kicking out the Moors from Europe, and so now they wanted to do conquest to try and like create a new narrative? But before that, the Moors were in charge of Europe. The Moors were the same. People, whether you want to consider them Arab or not, you know, or they are Arab or Muslim, they were Muslims who already interacted with all of the North, the North and, and West African Muslims, including the Mali Empire, which happened around by the same period. So there's no way you can now tell me that all that that nothing was happening until Europeans started making classical music. Come on, exactly. Yeah, we were already mixed. Right, we were. But you know, you know about the the fact that 
Kush and the Nubians were specifically destroyed. That all the dest- there was definitely destructive tendencies all those times. So, whomever was the archivist then, that's why I love the idea of your 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 traveling archive band because it, 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 we need it. We need to. No one is going to tell our stories but ourselves. We let history tell us this, and so it's very important that we do do so. And so, just to echo your your frustration, I was also still like I said back to this the summit. One woman was speaking about how the Romans were the, you know, the originators of this certain way of thinking in the spiritual sense. And, you know, I was like, you know, the Romans, the Romans stole everything from the Egyptians. So I can't. And exactly. I'm just like, okay, you know, that colonization is still there. So we'll just let it be. And I was like, and then then I'm like, why, why y'all fighting? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be superior to you. Like, I'm just telling you that I'm just telling you that all of us were in this together from the beginning. We were all in this. And I think that's the key thing is that we were all in this together. And unless humans realize we're all in this together, that's just where we're going to be. Right. So this is where we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a... But yeah, why, 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 yes. for that reason, why else he just... Yes, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so any listens? I know you're huge on mu- music. You are a composer. Any favorite listens? Any favorite watches? Uh, man, I'm terrible. You know what's really bad about being somebody that makes music? is you have to go through these large periods of new times where you don't want to listen to anything, only because it'll influence, it'll influence, you yeah. know, the way you- Whatever is the song in your mind, yeah, or in your heart, yeah, I get it, yeah. I'm really in a weird place right now where I'm just, like, trying not to listen to too much because of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the whole new hip-hop movement is interesting to me. I, I have a, it's like I listen to Kendrick Lamar and I listen to J. Cole and I'd be like, these guys are geniuses. And yet, I'm also frustrated by the paradigm that they're caught in, mm-hmm. the pop music you know, I feel like they have to cater to uh, to to the context, especially now that you know Snoop and there are all other people. No disrespect to all to all hip hop fans, but there's like a lot, all these artists now are jumping on the bandwagon and giving people like Kendrick Lamar the legacy of of hip hop. And I'm more like, I don't know if they fit. Like, I would love if, if Public Enemy was on them stages with Kendrick Lamar talking about, you know, I endorse the consciousness, the conscious rap, because I'm like, I don't see the lineage. I, you know, I don't see the lineage sometimes. So anyway, so but I, but I, but let me just leave that aside because I don't want to get a bunch of folks against me. <laughs> Kendrick Lamar is dope, mm-hmm. um, and I listen to some stuff. Jake Cole is dope. You know, in terms of hip hop scene, I'm like these guys really consciously as well as creatively and artistically bring in some next level stuff on the hip hop side of things. I also like Pharrell Munch a lot. He's not he doesn't get as much props as he should in terms of hip hop. You know, but he is definitely one of those artists that's just like a pure artist. He makes his stuff. It's, he's trying to be more. He's trying to be more. Um, it's, and I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me to listen to hip hop right now, mostly because of the N word. I can't. Mm-hmm, I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. It really bothers me after a while. I don't want to speak. Those, like you talk about meditation. Yeah. That is a mantra. And remember, they used to be back in the days. Or maybe not. You, you, you know, you look young. So I don't know. Maybe not as old as me. Yeah, anyway, you're lucky. You, you're going, your whole family going, yeah, y- y'all don't know how to age at all. <laughs> just, just telling fact. Anyway, 
the uh, looking back to all the different like you know contexts of the, 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 the legacy for me. The legacy is like you know the, all the old school hip hop and stuff like that. Public Enemy and Karis One. Those are the that's where I was coming from in terms of where I felt like these guys are the legacy of. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like how did how how was the torch really being carried? Is basically kind of the idea it passed yeah being passed right. But we have industry you know we have the industry. So, so but again I mean hip hop is not the only thing that I listen to. I mean I am by no means am I you know am I a pro on that but i constantly be you know look and search for underground artists i don't follow the mainstreams i don't follow spotify recommendations i simply look on youtube re- you know relentlessly trying to find um artists that are doing something original yeah and it's a track by track thing yeah okay all right well that's a good insight into the man that when he's not being creative and, and how he maintains his creative self so that's a that's cool. Farai, this has been such a lovely conversation. I thank you so much for your time today. And so before we we close up for today, are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners? Stay creative. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why our society goes through problems is because we don't respect the arts. We don't respect the art of storytelling. People think that, I think a society that is in ill repair or that's deteriorating culturally does not need more technology. It needs more art because the arts are the way in which we share information on how to treat each other and how to work together. So when the uh, when the School of Dance struggles to get funding you know, for its programs and projects because it's not as important as the STEM subjects, that's what I want people to remember, that we're the ones that provide the stories that make people come together and work together. And until you have a, a situation where people are able finding tools to create, to communicate, all the other forms of study and academia are held invalid. So stay creative, stay genuine. Yeah, stay creative. And it's so interesting you say that because more and more it's becoming STEAM and not STEM for arts. Yeah, so let's STEAM, let's full STEAM ahead. Steam ahead. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, folks, this has been another episode of the podcast. Remember to check out the show notes because we have great show notes always. You'll find out where you can find Farai, some of his work, a lot of the, you know, the legendary artists that we spoke about. You can find links to all of their information. There are new episodes of this podcast each and every Tuesday at localcitizenspod.com or wherever you find your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, and I, I know I promised at some point that YouTube is coming. And it is, guys. It is just, you know, the work is the work. So soon you'll find us on YouTube. And so until next time, bye for now. <laughs>